Good morning, DC family. Welcome into another edition of the Wizards of Gallery Place podcast, brought to you by DMV Sports Network, your number one source for local, professional, collegiate sports in the DC, Maryland, and Virginia area. We are currently going through a bit of shuffling with our site for the near future. The URL to the site will be down, and we are suspending our writing content. Uh, it's an unfortunate development, but we hope to have a rebooted rebooted uh, production and content system in the near future. For the time being, however, we're putting a heavier emphasis on our podcast lineup, which is extremely impressive, and our social media. So be, for, be sure to follow us at on Twitter at DMV underscore SN for daily content and updates. As always, I am your host, Frank. I am joined by Brendan. Brendan, how you doing today? Good, man. Just um, can't wait to talk some Wizards basketball. Some good stuff, man. Yep, uh, absolutely. So when we left off just before season opener, we predicted that the Wizards would go 1-3 and three in their opening stretch. And that is exactly what came to fruition. We'll start here with the season opener against the Mavericks on the road last Wednesday. After a back-and-forth first half, the Wizards struggled a bit in the second and third quarters before mounting a comeback effort late against Dallas that came up short, and they fell 108-100, to which dropped them to 0-1 on the season. Brennan, what did you see from this game uh, that you took away? Um, yeah, I mean, this is the one that we both had pinned as a loss. It's, you know, still a relatively new team. Um, you know, you never know what teams are going to look like on opening night. And, you know, the Mavericks are the home team. Luka came out high and just made shots that, I mean, typically you'll live with, you know, typically um, in terms of like letting people get shots like that. But he's a guy that's going to can them. Uh, he did. Porzingis had some nice moments and the role players played pretty decently. And I mean, that's all she wrote. Um, not too much to complain about for me personally. I didn't think the defense was all that bad. Again, just they made some really tough shots. Um, you know, of course, some lapses here and there, but I mean, what team doesn't have those over the stretch of a game? But um, I was still encouraged by the way that they played that game. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, we, as you said, we both had a pin as a loss, and I think a lot of it was because you got to think it is the season opener. You're on the road. This is a a team that's you know fielding a lot of young players playing heavy minutes, and you know, a season opener in a in a tough environment in Dallas. It's it's hard, and they're also, at the time, they they were a little undermanned. You know, C.J. Miles wasn't out there. Troy Brown, those guys still were, were on the mend from injury. But um, I think what you like to see is that, yes, they struggled second and third quarters. They let, that, let the game get away from them. But, you know, it's about how you respond to adversity. And in the fourth quarter, they outscored Dallas by 15 points and pulled it to within a, sing, to within a single-digit possession game, which, I mean – that's that's really all you can ask for in that situation. Um, do you think that that type of you know, although they you know obviously you want to win, do you think coming back from a deficit like that, you know, that's something that that bodes well for the future long term? Yeah, you know, even though they lost, I think that was a good um, a good way to you know put your stamp on how the season is going to go. You know, they're going to be fighters; they're not going to give up. And I was very encouraged by that. I didn't think that they were going to make any sort of comeback at all. I thought it was just going to be, you know, maybe a little back and forth, and it was going to be a 20-point dust. But, yeah, I mean, they fought. Um, the bigs off the bench, Bertans and uh, Wagner, played really well, and they've 
both played extremely well all season. The front court overall has been fantastic, and I'm sure we'll touch on that more. But, um, yeah, I mean, you ended on about a good note as you could have ended on in that situation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and if you look at how they ended that game, it certainly appeared that it carried over into their second game of the season on the road in Oklahoma City, where the Wizards picked up a 97-85 to 85 victory, led by Thomas Bryant's 21 points and 11 rebounds, and Bradley Beal had 17 points, and Rui Hachimura had 19 points, second on the team against the Thunder. Brendan, how encouraging was this victory against a, a pretty formidable opponent, most would have say, in the Thunder, in an environment that the Wizards have struggled to win at um, in recent memory? Yeah, um, and you know, obviously Chris Paul, and I said this before the game that evening, that, or maybe not that evening, I don't know, but I said this. Uh, you know, Chris Paul has still got it, but not at an elite level, I don't think anymore, and I think we saw, um, you know, what exactly I was talking about during that game. You know, he's still right. a smart basketball player, he's still high IQ, but he just doesn't have the physical ability anymore to, you know, really get it done on um, an all-star level. Uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander played pretty well. Gallinari played pretty well. Um, Steven Adams, I think, bullied Thomas Bryant one time, and then I think that's the last we heard about him uh, for the rest of the evening. So I was pretty encouraged uh, by that performance as well, obviously coming out with a win, um, holding an opponent to 85 points, I think, right? Yeah, that's correct. Yep, pretty solid there. So, um, I mean, yeah, it was a good game all around. Again, the front court played really well that game, and, Bradley Beal still wasn't getting hot, so he was still kind of cold that game. So, um, you know, it was good that everyone else kind of picked up the slack. I mean, they play team basketball, and that's one thing that I've – I mean, this is one of the most enjoyable teams in the Wall era. I mean, yeah, even though they've come out, you know, looking like this, uh, or one and three so far, I mean, this might be the most team I've, you know, felt the happiest in watching just because you can tell they play together. And, um, you know, they still got some things to tighten up, but, I mean, I like the way this team right. is going so far. Yeah, I mean, this is what we talked about all throughout the summer and, you know, leading up to the season. Obviously not the most talented bunch in the world, but their cohesiveness as a unit, their effort, that's what was going to determine how many games they won, how successful they And based on what we've seen so far, and obviously we're going to get into the next two games that the Wizards played, but based on what we've seen so far, definitely some uh, encouraging stuff. I just want to say that, uh, touching on the Thunder game, for me, at least, I don't know about you, but watching Chris Paul play in a Thunder uniform was probably one of the weirdest things I've ever seen on a basketball court. That's just that that's going to take some getting used to, wouldn't you say? Yeah, it was different, um, but you know, I mean, at least they have someone there that uh, they can go to and Shea Gilgis Alexander. So I don't know if they'll keep Chris Paul for the final year of his deal or not. You know, they may buy him out for that last year because it's not like they're signing anyone anyway. So, um, I mean, we'll see what happens. I think that once he's done here, though, I mean, I think he's done for good. I don't think anyone else is going to want anything to do with him, and he shouldn't want to keep continuing to playing if, you know, he's not going to be that great. So, Yeah, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, big, big, shy Gilgis Alexander, Alexander fan, for the record. Huge fan of his. Um, yeah, I like him. After they too. picked up that victory against the Thunder, they moved over to San Antonio for their final game of the road stretch to take on the San Antonio Spurs, obviously. After a back-and-forth game, the Wizards held multiple leads. They ultimately fell late 124-122 to 122 after Bradley Beal's last-second layup attempt. 
was blocked by point guard Derek White. Beal and his teammates and Scott Brooks alike thought that a foul should have been called, but the NBA ultimately ruled that White went straight up and did not get Beal on the arm. Brendan, what did you see from this game specifically? And do you think that the Wizards may have gotten robbed by the refs? If not, you know, how did you think that they responded um, overall? Yeah, I mean, I think this was another good game all around. I mean, they tried um, certainly all game. The defense was, I mean, up to that point, the worst defensive game. I mean, I think that you could make an argument this was worse defensively than the Houston game, which we'll touch on um, in a second, and I can explain a little bit why. But, uh, I mean, they were letting DeRozan pick his spots, and you cannot just let him do that. you got to get in his face and force him to go to the rack and double team and force it to be someone else. You know, I mean, you can't just let him do that in the mid-range area. where he, I mean, he's a mid-range god. I mean, he's one of the few left, and you absolutely cannot let him do that. Um, <clears throat> you know, Rudy Gay did whatever he wanted. The Marcus Aldridge did whatever he wanted. You know, they're all savvy vets, and they're all are pretty creative scores. Uh, but you got to be more aggressive uh, with them, and I felt like they just weren't aggressive enough with those three guys, and that's ultimately why they lost the game. Yeah, I mean, down the stretch, it was – very frustrating to see DeRozan just it was the simple Aldridge or Trey Lyles would come up and set a high screen DeRozan curls around it and just pops a mid-range jumper uncontested and it goes down I mean it was simple rinse wash repeat so that was frustrating but overall I thought it was a strong performance and they I don't think the Wizards I could be wrong have they ever won in San Antonio I know if if they have it hasn't been more than a game or two do you know off the top of your head I think it has been almost 20 years since they've won in San Antonio. I, for, I forget what year exactly it was, but, um, I mean, they said it during the broadcast, and they say it every year, but I forget. But I think it's been almost 20 years. So, Right, so having this group of guys go into San Antonio and nearly pull out that upset win, I mean, that, that's pretty impressive. Um, before we touch on the Houston game, through these first three games, Bradley Beal really struggled shooting from the field, although did compensate with some solid rebounding assist numbers. His shooting splits for the first three games were 7 of 25, 7 of 22, and then 8 of 25 against the Spurs. What, what do you think went into those struggles for, for Beal? I mean, for me, it looked like he was pressing a little bit. Uh, did you get that sense from him? Yeah, I thought he was just kind of trying too hard. You know, he wasn't letting the game come to him and uh... – trying to get into a rhythm, and I said this too, and maybe not to an extreme that John Wall was doing it last year, but he was just trying to assert himself too much to the point where it was just kind of like, okay, like if he's going to keep doing that, then just take him out because I don't want to watch that. And that's how John Wall was last year for the majority of the season was when he was in, Um, just trying to, you know, dribbling the ball too much, trying to make it happen on his own instead of just, you know, running the offense and all that. And I'm sure some of that is coaching. Like, and, um, you know, a lot of those set plays, and we talked about not seeing as much isolation, but I really felt like in this game um, and then the Rockets game that there was a little bit too much of isolation, which we'll see if that changes back. And maybe it was just the style that um, they felt like they needed to play that night. But um, overall, I mean, yeah, I think he just kind of, he wanted it too bad, um, you know, those first few games. And now that he's kind of relaxed, I think he's in a solid groove now. Right, and uh, luckily his struggles, the tide on his struggles turned for the better against the Houston Rockets, although the Wizards lost 159-158, to which is just 
an incredibly high-scoring game. That I'm Crazy. pretty sure that's the Wizards' highest-scoring game in franchise history. If not, it's definitely up there. But in total, it's one of the highest combined scoring games in NBA history. So that was pretty insane. But Beal led the team with 46 points, 8 assists, and 6 rebounds. He shot 14 of 20 from the field and 7 of 12 from 3. Unfortunately, it was not enough to overcome James Harden's 59 points and 7 of 18 shooting from the free throw line. Brendan, what do you think this what do you think this game? What do you think how how it went and um although they lost by one point, another close loss, what what positives can you take away from this? Um I mean, I think that they show that they can shoot with the best of them. I think that they have shooters all around the team. Uh, I mean, at least guys that can make shots, um, you know, in the corner and all that. Mm. Um, So I was encouraged by that. The defense, again, is a little bit spotty. But, I mean, I think it's really hard to guard James Harden. Like, I don't think anyone in the NBA can guard James Harden right now. Like, I think he's the most unguardable player in NBA history. People will disagree with me on that. I don't really care. Um, but they tried all night. I mean, they isolated him. That's what you want to do. And it's not like you can really double team him because like the Wizards, the Rockets have shooters all around the roster. So they right. tried switching a bunch of bodies on him. And I mean, even if you, you're in his face, I mean, he's still going to drill it. You know, that's what happened. Eric Gordon had a solid game. Um, Ryan Anderson, I think, came in and had a couple nice shots. Um, you know, I think it was just... I'm not going to say it wasn't a bad matchup for them, but I think that it was like the first of that type of opponent that they've seen so far where it's like, yeah, you know, you want to run and shoot. Well, we can do that too. And we're better at it. So I think that was a little bit um, of a wake up call maybe for some of the younger guys. But again, um, Davis Bertans continues to be just nasty. Wagner is nasty. Thomas Bryant is nasty. Rui's nasty. I mean, the whole front court. Is just I think it's one of the top in the NBA. I'll have to go and look at it. Um, I'm right. not saying they have the best individual players, but like collectively from you know Rui, Bryant, Bertans, and Wagner. I mean, they have one of the most collective, like best front courts in the NBA. Right, and if if I mean if you had said before this matchup against the Rockets that the Wizards would make 23 pointers and score 158 points on over 60 percent shooting, I mean you would have you would have taken that any day of the week and you would have almost guaranteed a win. Fortunately, yeah. it didn't turn out that way, but you know, it's like we've seen, I mean, there are going to be some tough losses around <clears throat> along the way this season, but it's more so about what actually happens in the game, at least to me, how they're playing as a unit. And like you said, so far, cohesiveness, high energy and effort are uh, clearly evident. And I just, you know, it's just very refreshing to me after years of, <clears throat> You know, lack of effort, lack of effort. That's all we heard. Post-game locker room speeches, that's all we heard about the struggles of the team. But it definitely looks like that is not the case with this group. Uh, would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things that, you know, even though this team is one and three, um, I mean, this is, I mean, you cannot be discouraged by any of these games that they've played so far. So, um, and then just one final thing about the Rockets game. Isaiah Thomas should not have been in down the stretch. Um, you know, he was just too bad um, defensively. Um, and Isaiah Thomas has overall been really, really good for us. But again, you know, defensively going in at the end that, you know, they're going to try and, um, you know, just attack, I mean, him. Just attack him. And, you know, I mean, that's kind of just what happened. And then, you know, a costly turnover there at the end. Right. So, um, I mean, 
I saw someone on Twitter say this, and I forget who it was. It might have been Domo, but um, or Domo. I don't know how you say it. But um, anyway, it's like you know you, you keep Beal at point guard, and then just surround him with shooters, because then at that point you still have the best guy handling the ball. But then if you you know collapse on him, then there's other players open that can make open shots, and defensively you still have a bit more size. So, um, but I, and one a last thing, sorry, and then we can move on. Um, but um, Isaac Vanga played uh, James Harden about as well as you could play him the entire night. And, you know, some may argue that that call at the end was a little bit of bogus. I get why they made the call, because if you watch it from certain angles, even though he does slide, he kind of he cuts off his path a little bit. So I understand um, why they called it. Would I have called that, you know, late in the game like that? No. But Bradley Beal had gotten, um, you know, a great call when P.J. Tucker right. defended him on that three-pointer. But that was also in part because Eric Gordon fouled him, and, um, you know, there was no call. So, um, I mean, it was just it was really bad at the end in terms of the refereeing. But, uh, you know, when you allow 20-something points in the final three minutes or whatever, I mean, you deserve to lose that game. So, so, so how much of this game do you think was poor defense and poor rotations out on the three-point line versus – the Rockets just doing what they do and being one of the best three-point shooting teams in the league. And, you know, how do you think the Wizards can adjust what they do on what they do defensively after this game moving forward? The defense, what you're seeing a lot of right now was when people attack the rim, like guys like Thomas Bryant are still a little bit too slow on getting over to the middle to help. So when you're seeing that, I mean, they're getting shots at the rim. Um, when they have to overcommit, then you're leaving guys open on the perimeter. And then, uh, you know, they tried playing that 2-3 zone again. Um, I don't know why on earth they tried playing a 2-3 zone um, against the Rockets, but uh, they did leave some guys open that I would have left open too. You know, Cephalosha and Rivers, and I mean, they just hit shots. So, you know, that is what it is. I mean, it's a up-and-down high-scoring game. I mean, they're just going to hit shots like that because, you know, that's just how the game's going. So... But I didn't think there was anything wrong with that, per se. I still would have stayed in man defense, though. Right, because when you're playing a 3-2... I'm sorry, you said 2-3 zone, correct? Yeah, that's what they've been... It's like, it's like a Syracuse-type zone. Obviously not as good, but yeah, it's a 2-3. Yeah, when you're playing that kind of zone, it's imperative that you get out in the corners to contest the shooters. And the Rockets yeah. are known for their corner shooting, like P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon, those guys. And I felt like that's ultimately that's ultimately was their downfall. It just seemed like the Rockets were getting open corner threes basically down the stretch whenever they wanted. But just shifting away from this game, so obviously the Wizards are 1-3 and three overall. But offensively, as we've been talking about, they're one of the statistically best teams in the league so far. They're fifth in the league in points per game with 119.3. They are second in the league in field goal percentage, right around 48%. Yeah. And they are sixth in the league with 14.5 three-pointers made as well as fifth in the league in three-point percentage at 38.2%. So how sustainable, or do you think this pace on offense that they're showing right now is sustainable moving forward? Um, maybe not as high, but I still, I still think they'll be regarded as one of the best uh, shooting teams in the NBA just because, again, Bertans is just – I don't know why the Spurs just gave him up. I have not a clue. Um, Wagner has been fantastic, and Thomas Bryant can shoot the three. Rui's starting to expand. His range now had his first two three-pointers the other night. You know, Bradley Beal, Isaiah Thomas has made his threes. Uh, Troy Brown made I, – I don't think Troy Brown missed a three the other night. I don't know. No, um, yeah, right. He did not. 
Yeah, and then this is still without C.J. Miles, who they'll be getting back, um, you know, today against the um, the Timberwolves. So, um, who's yeah. highly regarded as a solid three point shooter himself? Yeah, I mean, he's he's Drano. So, um, yeah, I, I think that the shooting is sustainable. Maybe not at that high of a level, but I mean, I'm sure they'll be in the top ten still in a lot of categories. Yeah, I feel like regression to the mean is obviously inevitable because this pace is just insane pretty much really but and i think like the lack of star power will kick in like eventually like they still may collectively be good as a unit and still put up the shooting numbers but like in terms of points per game and you know i think that kind of thing will go down eventually because i think that will catch up with them yeah and that's if you look at something like that against the mavericks you know in my opinion that was just a talent a talent deficionary game i mean if you're playing against a team with two definitive stars like porzingis and luca it's sometimes it's just you're not gonna be able to pull out a, a successful performance against a team with higher star power yeah but you know we'll just have to see what happens going down the stretch shifting away i know we've talked about touched briefly on different players performances after four games who's one player that has surprised you positively surprised you with his performance and on the opposite side of the spectrum, who's a player that you would like to see more out of? Uh, the player that has surprised me the most would probably be Rui. Um, I didn't think that his offense would click as fast um, and progress as much as it has through four games. I mean, I think the first game, I, we saw a lot of my concerns about him coming into the season, you know, his under-the-rim IQ, um, not being quick enough defensively, but, um, you know, his shots improved game by game. Not saying he's going to come out and make five of five threes next game, but his arc is changing, and you can see that. Um, you know, his mid-range shot and getting his shots is, is, go- is extremely valuable. He's probably the best on the team at uh, going to be, um, you know, getting his shots off in the mid-range area. Um, so, yeah, I've been really impressed with Rui. The one player who I would like to see a little bit more, I mean, I guess that that's a tough one because it's like, who can you look at on this roster right now and be like, yeah, you haven't played like that well. Like, yeah, I, I think that's say, everyone has like, played really well. Yeah, I feel like everyone's met or exceeded expectations so far, like up and down the board. I guess if I had to pick one, I would say Bradley Beal just because I thought those games early on, he was trying to force it too much, but... um. You know, I mean, the game against Houston, I mean, left me with no concerns about him going forward. So uh, that's a tough one. And I, Isaiah Thomas, I would like to see him at least give a crap on defense. That'd be nice. Yeah, I guess for me, if I had to choose one player, I might lean towards Ishmith. And this is in no way a slight towards Ishmith because I actually think he's been pretty solid overall but i think so too yeah yeah he's actually been surprisingly solid to me because i'm i've never been a huge ish smith fan but to me it's just isaiah thomas the pod. Back. yeah friend of the pod isaiah thomas is back troy brown jr is back who i actually think is probably best suited as a point guard i'd like to see him get run at the one in some lineups but for me it's just what does ish smith bring to the table that can't be replicated with the other two guys I just mentioned, you know, Isaiah Thomas brings more scoring, possibly more play playmaking. Troy Brown is more athletic, a much better defender. And on the opposite side of the spectrum, I guess the player who surprised me the most is probably Davis Bertans. And I know we've talked about him a lot thus far. Obviously, he had a reputation coming from San Antonio as a as a pure sharpshooter, but like 
I did not expect him Dude, to be this good of a shooter. Like, he this... may not miss another shot this year. Like, I've never seen a guy who just knocks down every single open three consistently. And it's like incredible. And even the threes he's making, like, a good amount of them are not wide open. They're in transition. And they're out there. Exactly. In transition, off balance. He's got defenders contesting him, and he just knocks it down. Like, he's averaging 16 points right now. Over fifty percent from three, probably not God. sustainable, but it's pretty pretty crazy what he's done so far. Yeah, he's got, he's got a bit of a you know versatility with his game. I know he's just a shooter, well not just a shooter. I know that's what he's known for, but he can score at the rim too. And I mean, he, he seems like he tries pretty hard on defense. Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that um you know I was a little concerned about playing him and Rui at the same time just because they both don't have a lot of ball handling skills and. Um, their defense is still kind of like up in the air. Like you, you know, you can try all you want, but you know, sometimes you need to get stops on you know wing guys. They're like at least get their shots off in the NBA. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've been just really impressed with everyone so far. I can't really pick out a guy that you know. I get Ish Smith. I see where you're coming from with that, but like Ish Smith has made like the most clutch shots that, like, you can make this year, like, okay, we need a bucket. And, like, he comes up big every time. Right, and he's and, not and known he, for that. Nah, and he has a couple, like, turnovers here and there, but, like, he's trying to make a good play. You know, it's maybe just a second too late, or he misreads something, like, at the very last second. But, I mean, he's been trying to get guys involved. And then, um, you know, as much as I want to go on Isaiah Thomas, uh, you know, defensively and all that, but I want to say his playmaking is one thing that has surprised me and impressed me so far. Because him and Wagner seem to be getting this connection really quick, and I like that in the second unit. So I'm not even sure, you know, um, I was saying this on the last pod, that eventually I, I would think that Isaiah Thomas returns as a starter. I'm not so sure you do that now. Yeah, I like the, I think the idea of having him as offensive spark plug off the bench, he's definitely the best suited option for that. Yeah. Um. Like you said, his playmaking too has been pretty impressive. He has fifteen turnover excuse me, fifteen assists through two games to just seven turnovers. That's that's an impressive rate, I think. Yeah, two to one. I mean ideally you'd like to get that more to two and a half or three to one. But um I mean he's still trying to get his legs back under him, you know, he's still not a hundred percent there. So um, you know, hopefully with more game reps he'll get even better because I mean, you know, we're all rooting for him, obviously. So Right, he's not known as a player. Obviously, he's he's been a solid passer throughout his career, but he's known as a scorer. So any any boost he gives you in playmaking is just an added bonus. Um, another player I want to talk about briefly that you touched on is Isaac Bonga, who drew, has drawn the start at small forward all four games. That figures to change with Troy Brown coming back and CJ Miles in, in pending return as well. But what have you seen from Bonga that has encouraged you? I mean, for me... He's not putting up crazy numbers, 6.3 points, 4.5 rebounds, and 2.5 and assists with a steal. But I actually think Bonga's been, been a lot better than I expected. I really didn't know much about him coming over from the Lakers, but he's got this, this style to his game and just the way he plays. He's long and athletic, and I think he makes good decisions. I've been pretty surprised with how he's played. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, you know, he's a steady all-around player. He can do a little bit of everything. And like you said on the last episode, um, or, or maybe maybe this is when I was on um, Quentin Mayo's show. It actually might have been him, but he's – I don't know. I don't know. Sorry, guys. Uh, someone – one of you two said that he's not great 
at one thing, but like he does a lot of things collectively, like, you know, solid. And I think we're seeing that with him, you know, even him shooting, um, he can attack off the bounce a little bit. He's obviously showed great effort on defense and I think is probably one of the best perimeter defenders on the team at this point. And one thing I've been really happy with seeing someone do now that Otto Porter and Thomas Sadoransky down is who's going to cut to the rim? Who's going to go back door? And him and Thomas Bryant have, um, you know, kind of have that connection a little bit. You know, when Bryant gets it in the mid-range or in the elbow area, you know, the bong is going to be trying to cut to the rim and that's been there a lot. So I'm good to see him doing that. But, um, you know, he still needs to work the game as handle, you know, with shooting ideally a little bit more. Bonga's been a fine player, you know, and that's the thing that sucks with Troy Brown and CJ Miles coming back because you know eventually he's probably not going to be in the rotation. But, man, I, I hate to take him out right now because I still want to see him as the starter, quite frankly. And you also got to remember, dude is 19 years old. Like, the fact that he's, that he's playing this well at this age, he's, he's so raw and, like, it's a blank canvas for him. Yeah. Um, like you mentioned, actually, with CJ Miles and with Troy Brown returning against the Rockets and CJ Miles set to return tonight against the Timberwolves, how do you think that CJ Miles is going to factor into the rotation? And do you think, and they touched on it briefly, do you think he should take Bonga's minutes or do you think Miles should not join the rotation right away? How, how do you think that's going to play out? You know, it's tough because. Also, if you're Tommy Shepard, and I don't know if this is a legit thing or not. I'm just trying to think a little bit outside of the box here. But if you know that going forward, like you're not going to re-sign C.J. Miles, wouldn't you want to kind of give him minutes that maybe at the deadline you could get something for him, you know, just to show that he still got it and whatnot? So I'm not saying that that should be like the entire factor on him playing. It's just something to think about more or less, I guess. Um, you know, which Troy looked good the other night. Um you know, I would say C.J. Miles probably gets – I'm sure he'll play tomorrow, right? Like, I'm sure, like, they wouldn't have recalled yeah. him back from the go-go, um, you know, yesterday if they weren't going to use him. So I'm sure that he'll play. For him and Bonga both in the rotation, because obviously Troy Brown's going to probably end up starting at some point, if not get 25 to 30 minutes a game. I don't think so because now Isaiah Thomas is back as well. You know, if Thomas was still out, maybe you make that, um, you know, maybe you could say that you could try and fit all three of those guys in there. But now that um, the whole roster is essentially back outside of John Wall, I mean, I just don't see Albonga and even Schofield are going to get any minutes. Who I, I like Schofield's minutes as well. So, again, and Scott Brooks says this um, when there's been situations like this, but this isn't a bad problem to have. Right, You know, it, it just sucks that some of these guys that are playing well may not, uh, you know, we may not be getting to see them play this well um, that much anymore. That if we have to go back to them, you know, are they still going to be able to get in that groove and, you know, um, continue off where they started? So, I mean, yeah, it's going to suck seeing some of these guys go to the bench, but, um, you know, I'm happy that they're getting the bodies back for sure. Yeah, and I've always liked Miles as a player, especially <clears throat> except for when he's played against the Wizards, because obviously he's a, he's a certified Wizards killer um, yeah. at this point. But for me personally, I just you need to reward players for for playing well and playing hard. And I feel like Bonga has definitely been doing both of those things. Yeah. I like Miles, like I said, and I think he's ultimately going to get minutes in the rotation regardless. But if I had to choose between the two. I don't know, man. I'm I'm leaning towards Bonga. I know playing Miles and showcasing him before the trade deadline is valuable, but to me, Bonga is just only going to get better 
as the season goes on with more minutes. So I don't know. I, I, I'm just quickly becoming a big Bonga fan is what I would say. Yeah, I mean, I think that if at any point in the season the Wizards get or, you know, a team offers the Wizards any kind of asset, like, you know, any type of draft pick, I think that they need to jump on that, you know, in terms of uh, C.J. Miles. So because, I mean, again, you, you want to see these young guys continue to play. Um, C.J. Miles, I think, was brought in as kind of insurance in case guys get injured or, um, you know, it was kind of like, yeah, well, we can get them for, you know, relatively nothing, so why not, you know? So, um, I mean, they had to get something back if they wanted to get rid of Dwight Howard. So, uh, not a bad player to get back in return, but, you know, just going forward, it's going to be hard to see how he's a huge part of what they're doing going forward. So, if they, if any team comes at them with any type of offer, I mean, they should jump on that. So, Yeah, and as you mentioned, having too many good players is a good problem to have, not a bad problem to have. Yeah. Would, would your... Where you're expecting the Wizards to be, like, I mean, if you're looking up and down the roster right now, they're like 10 deep, and that's including Bonga. Um, that's including I think Bonga. they're like 12 deep. 12 right, or so they're 10 deep without C.J. Miles factoring him in. So, I don't know. It's, it's going to be interesting to see, but Scott Brooks is definitely going to have some, uh, some difficult choices to make. Um, you touched briefly on Rui Hachimura, who you said was your, the most surprising player for you so far. Just going over his stat line, He's averaging 33.3 minutes a game. So that uh, puts to bed any minutes. questions of him not being, you know, a surefire starter and going to finish every game. Yeah. He's averaging 33 minutes and he's scored 18 points a game with 7.0 rebounds. He's got 1.3 assists. And I believe he's shooting 50% from the field as well. Do you see Rui as a potential, I don't even know if it's dark horse at this point, but potential rookie of the year candidate, or is that jumping the gun after four games? No, I, th- I think that at this point he's probably my safe bet. Um, that's who I'd put my money on if I had to. I know Kendrick Nunn has played really well. Tyler um, Hero's a pretty solid player. You know, they seem to have something nice down there in Miami. So, um, right. I mean, yeah, those guys have played well. And then, you know, you have John Morant still there who is probably going to continue to get better. Uh, throughout the season, you know, some other players. But, I mean, Rui would be my safe bet right now. I mean, he's been fantastic. You know, I, he still makes rookie mistakes and all that. Um, but he, he's been really good. So I've been really impressed with him. And he does make rookie mistakes, like you mentioned. But, like, from my perspective, I can't remember a, a rookie in recent memory, at least a rookie, who was, like, so so polished and, like, seasoned. No, yeah. And had such a high IQ, like, coming in his first year. like. Yeah. Just watching him play, he, he's got a certain like savvy veteran style about him. And I know, I know in the last pod, I said I noticed, at least in the summer league, some, uh, in the preseason, some Carmelo Anthony and Kawhi Leonard-like tendencies to his game. And I mean, watching him through the first four games, like the way he, he operates on the block and in the mid-range high post area, and his high post, his post fadeaways, like what's the most impressive facet of his game that you've noticed so far or one that stood out to you you know just a shot creation in the mid-range because it, it reminds me exactly of how Carmelo Anthony gets his shots I said that in summer league um, I said that in preseason and then I said it again um, you know as we've gotten along here in the regular season the way he operates in the mid-range is exactly like Melo you know he may not be as quick as Melo and he not may uh, not may not be as good of a shooter as Melo but Man, it's remarkably similar. 
Yeah, I mean, just the way he, his ability to get shots off over defenders. I mean, he doesn't incredible. Move. Yeah, he doesn't move like very quickly, but his ball placement on his release is so high. If he if he's able to expand his game, I mean, he's only made two. What did he make against the Rockets? Three three pointers. Two, two, and those were the first three pointers of his season so far. If he becomes a consistent, you know, thirty, let's say thirty five percent three point shooter. You know what? What do you think the ceiling is on his point per game? You know potential this season. Oh goodness! Um, and what's he at right now? Eighteen. Eighteen. Yeah. Could you see him like eclipsing the? You know, approaching or eclipsing the twenty point mark? I don't know about that, but then again, I I was, you know, he's outdone what I thought he was going to be able to do so far this year. So um, I mean, it's possible, I guess. I'm sure everyone's normals will, or numbers will kind of go down. You know, we're not going to see 159 points scored every game, you know, 158. So, um, you know, I'm sure the numbers for everyone will kind of gradually go back down as we go out, um, go on here through the next couple of weeks. But, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, Rui is more polished. He's the most polished rookie that I've ever watched. He was more polished than Wallenigan, more polished than Um, He's definitely been the most impressive right out the gate. So, I mean... Tommy Shepard is just a money draft pick, and no one saw it coming. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I know you and I were kind of similar on this. When, the, when they actually drafted Rui Hachimura on draft night, that was not the pick I was expecting. I wasn't disappointed, but it was hard to get overly excited about the pick. But it's hard yeah. to say. It's difficult to say that Rui has not exceeded anyone's expectations. Another player we haven't really touched on, but I know we're both big fans of, is Thomas Bryant, who is the definitive starting center now. For the, he's averaged fourteen and a half points per game and ten point three rebounds per game, with a twenty point zero two player efficiency rating through four games. Nasty. You're probably the biggest Thomas Bryant fan I know of, which you make pretty clear on Twitter. What have you seen from Bryant through four games so far this season? That has encouraged you, and on the other side, pointed you, and has he met your expectations? Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, he's been really solid, I think, offensively. And obviously, we knew about his jump shot and expanding, um, you know, expanding his range and being able to stretch the floor and open things up for everyone else. And um, his energy on the glass and just energy overall, really. I mean, that's what you want to see from your center. You know, you want to see a guy that's going to want to get up and down the floor play hard every minute he's out there. And that's exactly what Thomas Bryant brings to the table. You know, some concerns. I mean, the same thing that concerns his uh, minute, or limited time. Um, you, you know, the defense, uh, rotation-wise, he's got to be able to be there. Um, you know, he still gets pushed around a little bit too much. His center of gravity is uh, not really great. But, um, I mean, those are things, again, he's still young, too. What is he, 21, 22 years old? I mean... This is a double-double right. double machine already in his career. So, I mean... I think for uh, me, one, one thing I've maybe... It's not a huge issue, but one thing I've noticed, at least maybe in the first two or three games, I feel like he has a tendency to become a little trigger-happy, at least as a... Especially early in the game, I feel like he kind of presses from outside. For me, I like to see him be a lot more aggressive around the basket, especially early in the game, establishing his presence. Obviously, he's a capable three-point shooter, but to me, it's about high-percentage shots. I'm not trying to harp on him too much, but is that something you've noticed as well, or am I just am I chirping? 
I mean, I've noticed that he is quick with the trigger, but my my philosophy with any player is is that if you can shoot the shot then shoot it when you're open unless you're like they're leaving you open on purpose and you're coming down and you're like you know oh of seven oh and eight from the same exact shot like you know yeah maybe you control yourself for a second but um i mean he's a guy that has still made three pointers this season so and, and again my philosophy you know if you're open shoot it if you can make them and he definitely showed last year and this year so far that he can and will make them yeah, and obviously you'd rather see him <clears throat> taking those shots than being hesitant to take those shots. And he certainly right. has the green light <clears throat> in this offense. Um, between him and Rui Hachimura, who we've both talked about now, are you what percentage confident are you from 1 to 100 that the Wizards have found their front court of the future between Brian and Hachimura? 100%. I agree. And I feel like their skill set's like, they both just complement each other really well. And they've only played four regular which is very promising. And then again, you still have Wagner coming off the bench who has just blown me out of the water with the way he's My playing. Man. His energy is infectious. Yeah, that's your guy, man. Um, just I tried complete... to tell you. you. You did, you did, and I didn't listen. I mean, I figured he would be better than Jan Mahin, but I didn't think that he'd be making the kind of impact that he's made for this team so far, you know? I mean, just incredible. I mean, again, just our front court. Our front court has just got a bunch of dogs, man. They're tough. They're young. They're hungry. You know, Bertans is a vet. But, um, I mean, they get after it, and that's what you want to see, you know, guys that are going to get in there, be gritty. I mean, Wagner has pretty much just been trolling everyone every game this season, trying to start stuff. I mean, it's just awesome. I mean, I love this team, and I love the front court, man. They're great. So what would you do – would would Scott Brooks need a restraining order if Jan Mahimi returns from injury and he took minutes away from from Wagner in the rotation? Obviously, it's not going to happen, but that that would be a Scott Brooks thing. Fire him on spot if he does that. I don't care what the scenario is. If Wagner is healthy, there is no reason any center run onto this roster should be getting more minutes. Um, than him. I mean, obviously, Thomas Bryant still needs to get the bulk of the minutes, but there's been times when Wagner's played, and like I know Thomas Bryant's going to come back in, and I'm like, ah, oh, man, I really want to see Wagner out there. I wonder if they'll ever play them together. Now, wouldn't that be something to see? I mean, Wagner, Wagner can stretch the floor, man. He's he's got yeah. experience playing power forward. Can I think the, the only on the issue deck is, a little bit. Yeah, no, definitely. The only issue is that you're you're basically set at power forward with Rui and Berton, so. Yeah. I can't imagine Wagner getting any minutes at power forward, especially when he's the lone backup center right now. Yep. I mean, again, Rui can play the five and small ball lineups and all that, so I don't think that they're entirely thin there, but, I mean, I see what you're saying. It's not like they're going to play Rui at the five, though, and Wagner at the four, but just like, you know, maybe if Rui's in foul trouble and then, you know, you put Bertans at the three, I don't know. There's something that I wonder if they'll ever do, but um, I mean, yeah, I mean, it, you, the good thing is when Thomas Bryant comes off the floor, you don't lose anything when Wagner comes on. I mean, that's probably the strongest position so far. Yeah, I agree, and I mean, like you just touched on versatility. I mean, that's the Wizards have versatility, especially in their front court. Bryant's definitely a lone center, but between Bertans, Hachimura, and Wagner, you have three guys who are getting minutes. Three guys who can play multiple positions. Um, how how much do you think that versatility? It 
how, how valuable do you think that versatility is for uh, Scott Brooks and what he can do and tinker with the rotations? It's extremely valuable because as the season goes on, you can mix things up to confuse guys and maybe uh, make guys a little bit uncomfortable. And then, um, you know, if the team, you know, plays well enough to qualify for the playoffs, then you have different things that you can do. So if someone gets injured or someone gets in foul trouble, you really don't get stuck because you know all these guys can come in and do different kinds of things. So it's definitely extremely valuable, and I think it'll be really valuable going forward as we get on through the season. Right, and as you mentioned, going on through the season, let's briefly preview this upcoming stretch for the Wizards. As they're 1-3 right now, tonight on Saturday, they take on the Minnesota Timberwolves at home, and then they will be staying at the bank, taking on the Detroit Pistons on Monday before traveling to Indiana to take on the Pacers on November 6th. How do you see these next three games playing out against three what, what many would see as inferior opponents compared to um, who they've played thus far? Okay, this is kind of a dumb question, but I really don't know. Is Oladipo still injured? Yeah, he's not playing right now. Okay, so yeah, 3-0. You think so? You're that confident? Yeah. Yeah, I was. I I originally had the Minnesota game as a loss, but since Cat got suspended, that's obviously gonna weigh a little bit on my decision. So um, I'm gonna go with uh, the Wizards in that one. So I got them win the next three games. Yep. Did he get suspended already, Cat? Did they? Yep. Lay down suspended already? two games. Uh, okay, I see that. Man, I would have loved to see Wagner come off the bench and just get into Cat's head and just wrestle with him <laughs> under the basket. That yeah, man. That would have been very exciting. to see. I, I find it funny that the two softest bigs in the NBA got into a fight and, like, it wasn't even a fight. And then, like, Ben Simmons just, like, choking him out on the ground. Just, like, pure comedy. Like, it, it was just awesome. Yeah, it was, that was crazy. Oh. Yeah. That was uh, kind of reminiscent of Malice at the Palace from years ago. Obviously not the same thing. But I think that's the closest thing. Hell no. Um, if the Wizards were to lose, obviously you say three no. If they were to lose one of these three games coming up, which one do you think would be the most likely loss? Probably the Detroit game. Think so? Yeah, because Detroit always plays us tough for whatever reason. You think uh I mean you think Brian and Drummond will be a good matchup? Yeah, but I think that uh Brian's gonna poo on him. So, I mean, I mean, Drummond, again, uses his strength, but Drummond's not good, like, at anything. Like, he, he's good at rebounding, but, like, in terms of anything he offers, like, on the offensive end, thing. Right. Um, defensively, eh, he can block some shots, I guess, sometimes, but he's not really that great of a defender, as it were. So, um, now I think Brian's going to crap on him. So, the one reason I agree that that would be the most likely loss, and I'm just, just realizing that this guy is actually on the roster, is Markeith Morris. Maybe he'll uh, have a bit of a revenge game back in D.C. Yeah, man, Marcus, um, you know, rained on us in preseason. So, uh, you know, it wouldn't be surprising to uh, see that. Although I think Rui at this point is way better than Markeith Morris. So if they're matched up, I think that Rui's going to handle him just fine. And we're going to see Markeith get frustrated. And if he has to guard Bertans, my God, you better run Bertans off every screen in America to get that slow man caught behind everything because he will just... And if we can get mismatches, like guard switched off on him, oh, man. Yeah, that'll be something I'm interested in seeing. And I don't think Blake Griffin is playing in that one, so I think that that's a reason. Yeah, I, have, I believe uh, he's still hurt. 
Yeah, so, I mean, that, that's another reason I think the Wizards win. Like, Reggie Jackson. I mean, Ish Smith is just as good as Reggie Jackson, in my opinion. So, I'm not going to... Mm, you think so? Uh, yeah, I'm not a big Reggie Jackson guy. He does look like Bobby Schmurter, though. So, he's got that going for him. Yeah, he does, but he's a little ugly. So I'm, I might take Bobby Schmurter in a one-on-one game. Yeah, you might. So, yeah, man, I think that, that basically wraps up everything. So, you've got the 3-0 and next stretch. For me, I'm going to go 2-1. and one. I think they're going to drop either that Detroit or Indiana game. I don't really have a reasoning behind it, like an in-depth reasoning. I just I got a feeling they're going to drop at least one of those games. But still, 2-1 and one or 3-0, and oh, either way, that would pull them back to close to 500 or even above 500. So that would be a pretty successful stretch. Uh, anything else we want to touch on before we head out? Um, no, I think that's that's. But for now, I mean, I'm just, I'm really encouraged by the team, and um, Tommy Shepard put together a good group of guys, and I'm glad to see, uh, you know, some guys are starting to play some basketball for Scott Brooks. Uh, I I figured before the season that they would come out and have something different about them. They'd be more coachable and they'd play hard, and that's exactly what they've done. So that's a good first step for uh, Scott Brooks. The next thing you got to do though is you got to start winning some games. So we'll see if they can do that. Yeah, man. Uh, well, this was fun chopping it up. We will be back next week to cover the recent stretch and preview what's next on the schedule. Be sure to follow DMV Sports Network on Twitter at DMV underscore SN and follow our podcast account at W-O-G-P in all caps underscore podcast. Uh, Brendan, do you want to plug your personal Twitter account? Um, yeah, just follow me at Threes is Trice, and then the last thing I'll say is go Thomas Bryant. <laughs> go Thomas Bryant, and uh, go Ish Smith, friend of the pod. And uh, you can pod. follow me. You can follow me at Frank JP in all caps with the number zero. Uh, thanks again, guys, for listening. You can find this on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the whole nine yards, and we will catch you next time. Peace. <laughs>